This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. We do welcome you to Bite Into It, where we discuss computing, uh, new technology, the internet, uh, all of the good stuff that you need to be across. Tonight on the show, uh, I do have with me Joe Eaton. Joe, how are you? I'm good. How are you this evening? Pretty well. Um, have you had a good week in technology so far? How would you How would you rate it? Well, I've had the past few days off, so I haven't really been engaging, to be honest. Mm, yeah, I was um, getting back into Famous Five books. Like, I was really at the bottom of my bookshelf. How did that happen? I was looking through the... So, my bookshelf is all colour-coded and green is at the top because it's my favourite colour. And there's a lot of, like, historical adventure kind of weird stuff, like, you know, stuff from my dad and his dad and stuff like that. So, yeah, Famous Five books. And Lashings of Ginger Beer? No, but um, I did find some old episodes on YouTube as well, so I, I did give those a bit of a go. They're pretty fun. Um, yeah, I've uh, I've had an interesting week in, in technology, but um, mostly it's been good. Um, I'll be with you on the show tonight as well on Warren Davies. Uh, if the plebiscite or the anniversary of Trump's election uh, has you down on democracy in general, um, some people are working at making collective decisions a little bit better for all of us. Um, The principles behind blockchain are more than just about uh, cryptocurrencies and uh, funny stuff like that. Um, Apparently, blockchain is handy uh, in lots of ways. We've talked about blockchain um, a few times um, on the show uh, in recent times, uh, including a secret um, island um, conference um, with Mr. Branson. But um, we'll get to that in a sec. Uh, One of the people behind a platform for change uh, in that space uh, will be joining us uh, in a few minutes. Later in the show, we'll also be talking games. Um, I haven't had a good games review on the show for what seems like yonks, so I'm pretty excited to hear what Daniel McGanty uh, has been up to. Um, I think he's got a review of Cuphead coming up, which um, I don't know too much about, but I look forward to finding out about it. Before we go there, um, there is a bit of news um, going on around the world. Um, And as we are talking about um, crypto things, I did want to talk about uh, possibly my favourite sounding currency, um, Ethereum. Uh, When I'm not Using dollars, I'm using Ethereum. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Accepted at most places around the world. But um, I do have it on um, good authority uh, from our next guest that um, Ethereum is a fairly good currency. It's actually the um, second highest value cryptocurrency uh, in the world um, with around $27 billion um, currently uh, in the platform. Uh, They're in a bit of trouble. Um, Hundreds of millions of dollars of the currency um, has been frozen. Um, They've had some issues with uh, one of the wallets um, that you do hold your um, cryptocurrency in parity. So Ethereum has a lot of um, currency in parity and parity have had um, two vulnerabilities um, over the past few months. Um, The first one uh, was apparently resolved uh, around July 19, uh, and then they released a new version um, on July 20. Um, but they did carry some of the um, uh, exploitable um, vulnerabilities over into the new version um, of the wallet. Um, and immediately, uh, well, not immediately, sorry, um, they have had to freeze um, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of um, Ethereum um, again, um, which is a, a big issue. Um, it's um, Parity's a multi-signature wallet, uh, which... I think it's a good thing. Um, I might just check about that um, in a moment. But um, yeah, uh, have you have you been tempted to try cryptocurrency? Are you like going to lash your max together and, and have a crack at finding your first Bitcoin? Or look, I it I've tried so hard to understand mm. and failed multiple times, mm. despite watching very very basic videos on what the hell it is. I'm still confused. 
Mm. It was I was very pleased to see Alan Kohler trying to um, um, establish what was going on with Bitcoin the other day. He kind of sniffed at it a little bit <laughs> when he did the update and said, and I don't know, this currency over here is up to around <laughs> 6,000 something hundred, but we don't really talk about that too much. So I don't know if it's on the I ABC. have trouble with, norm, with what normal money is, let alone cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrencies, exactly. Um, uh, another thing that uh, was um, worth bringing up uh, in relation to the UK, where um, that was from, uh, the European Court of Human Rights is currently sitting on a, a bulk spying um, case, um, which is rather interesting. Um, legal representatives of the UK government are currently facing questions uh, from the European Court of Human Rights, um, hearing this challenge um, to the intelligence agency's bulk collection practices. Um, the case has been brought by a coalition of civil and human rights campaigners, including the American Civil Liberties Union, Amnesty International, uh, Big Brother Watch, uh, Liberty, Privacy International and a host of others. Um, based not just in the UK, but um, around Europe, Asia, uh, Africa, Asia, and the Americas. Um, the UK is um, has probably got one of the, the um, strongest um, intelligence-focused um, data collection programs uh, around. It's very easy um, for um, agencies to collect data in bulk, um, and the general policy has been to quote-unquote trust us that we're doing the right thing. There's not a lot of um, rigorous pr protection for citizens uh, in the UK, um, and uh, I guess anyone communicating with people in the UK and, uh, and so forth. So um, there's been a, a series of challenges um, to the um, state surveillance powers um, over recent years. Um, in 2015, um, the Oversight Court for the UK's intelligence agencies ruled that secret data sharing uh, between the UK's GCHQ and, and the NSA had breached European human rights law in the past, um, which is, uh, I guess, a precursor to today's action. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. Um, it's uh, a lot of it has kind of um, um, been a waterfall down from um, Snowden's um, whistleblowing activities in in 2013. So, um, yeah, the ripples of that are still being felt. But um, yeah, I, I think we'll try and keep an eye on this. Uh, it'll be running for a little while um, and and check in um, with what's going on there. Um, maybe a place where we can report on it is Twitter, um, if if we have the chance. Well, as of today, you'll have um, double the amount of characters that you can tweet. Um, they had been running a trial um, in the in the past month or so, mm. where uh, selected users had the ability to tweet two hundred and eighty characters instead of the standard one hundred and forty. And I'm so glad Kim Kardashian had that. Like, I felt I wasn't getting enough. I was just kind of more about share having it, like more emoji power. But apparently, um, Eliza Rosen, who's the who's Twitter's product manager, said that um, that Twitter was concerned, and many users were concerned that people's timelines would fill up with these two hundred and eighty character tweets, and um, that people with the new limit would always use that amount. But uh, they the, the test data showed that there was an initial spike in the character count, and um, apparently, it was you know people enjoying the novelty of being able to be like Kermit bashing at his typewriter uh, and once that uh, novelty wore off uh, only about 5% 5% of tweets were longer than 140 characters and only 2% were over 190 so I guess you can express yourself a little bit easier now fewer abbreviations do, do you think people were saying I can't really get this short I can't really be succinct with this so therefore I'm not going to use it I've never turned away from a challenge of getting it into 140 that's thread <laughs> <laughs> for sure uh, 
Ah, it, it is strange. Um, yeah, I, I saw just saw some similar stats as well that, um, yeah, most tweets don't sort of go over that. I do find I was having a huge um, kind of um, brain fade on the, the train this morning where you know how links quite often do get shortened by... by I, I, I just use Twitter most of the time itself, the, the app. Mostly they get shortened. Some of the news ones aren't shortening very well these days. And it was like 400 characters. It was crazy. And I was just kind of like bashing at my phone like I wanted to crack it open but um, yeah I don't know we'll see what happens um, one of the um, one of the people um, who's quite well known in the Twitter scene here in um, Melbourne um, has written a long piece um, to Jack Dorsey about it and what a piece of rubbish it is um, but I don't know like these these platforms are always changing and um, they're doing their best to improve I, I think we've just kind of got to go with it or if you don't if you don't agree with it um, I don't know go back to Tumblr or something like that yeah, I mean, I, I've seen people messing around with the way that that Twitter works in order to to get what they want to say mm. said. Yeah, um, thread. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, one thing that did come across our desk as well um, today, which is interesting, uh, if you're interested in, um, uh, I guess, surveillance and um, your privacy at work, um, one employer group is doing something very interesting where um, the talent management company Crossover uh, is actually taking photos uh, every 10 minutes of their staff through the staff webcams. Um, the pictures are being taken by Crossover's uh, productivity tool, WorkSmart, um, and they combine the screenshots uh, of their workstations along with other data, including app use, keystrokes, to come up with a focus score and an intensity score that can be used to um, assess the value of... Um, they have a lot of freelancers working there, which is interesting. I, I, don't, I don't know focus and intensity is necessarily a good measure of work and value that um, people are creating. Um, I guess when you think about how much time you, you are in one spot, how much value you are theoretically creating um it's not even and it doesn't you know it's not by the hour you know you can have a genius moment um and then be unproductive for days and weeks and you know you're still you're still worthwhile and you're still um getting things done it's strange isn't it i i think um it feels like one of those things that's weird right now but in 10 years time we like won't find it surprising that these things are commonplace i'm not really sure what we can do about it i hope it never becomes normalized yeah me too um yeah very strange indeed. Um, there's a lot of kind of um, Orwellian kind of phrasing in here, uh, obviously things like focus score and intensity score, um, but they're working towards your, quote, betterment, um, which is very strange. Um, but, yeah, I, I hope, hopefully this thing just gets pushed down the memory hole. It's a bit stupid, really. Up next, uh, if you are interested in uh, blockchain and uh, what you can do with that um, as a technology. Uh, one of the companies doing interesting things around that space is Horizon State. Uh, we are now joined in studio by some of the brains trust there, Jamie Skeller. Jamie, thanks for coming in. Good evening. Thanks for having me. No trouble at all. Um, Horizon State um, is, I think, when I started looking at this, I think you caught up with Laura or bumped into Laura and, and you said, hey, let's have a chat. I thought, oh, well, you know, here, here's another way to do currency or, or what have you. But it's a little bit more than that. It's mm. trying to unlock, I guess, the potential of uh, a new technology here to do collective decisions in a different way. Yeah. Uh, how would you describe simply sort of what you guys do? Well, I think the most concise way to explain uh, what we very specifically are doing is utilising blockchain technology, otherwise known as uh, distributed ledger technology, to create an immutable record of the vote or the outcome. 
And what this means in layman terms is effectively a an unhackable ballot box, a, a tamper-proof ballot box. So it's it's quite profound uh, in the sense that uh, never before in history has something like this been possible uh, until the sort of advent of this technology. Um, you know, paper um, ballot box is relatively inconvenient, relatively secure. Uh, existing online voting mechanisms very convenient but very insecure, and, and now we've got this sort of new this new pa- paradigm shift. Mm. So uh, I think one of the things that's sort of given me pause for thought around blockchain in the past is to me it's just another invisible technology. But I think what you're trying to do here is, um, I guess, show the impact of people's votes or to even kind of you're able to access it yourself and see what's happened. How does that work? How can we actually make this technology transparent for people? So ideally, yeah, we need to get to a place where blockchain is as transparent as TCP IP and and HTTP and uh, Linux. You know, these are all technologies which underpin the internet that we use every day, what people are using right now to to stream this online, but uh, they don't need to know about it. They don't need to understand it. Um, Now, blockchain is very, very new, so a lot of the startups that are coming out of this space are trying to very, uh, you know, uh, prominently um, sort of position themselves as blockchain-based startups. Uh, in some respects, it's easier to, to raise capital by doing so. But um, you know, our goal is really not to uh, necessarily even have to educate people on what blockchain is specifically. The education piece is around helping people under, understand that this new way of voting is indeed secure, and then having it uh, eventually over time um, supplant uh, existing processes, uh, be they uh, how polls are currently conducted, uh, elections, uh, directors' votes within organisations. There's lots of democratic processes, uh, ones that don't even necessarily relate to governmental applications where this is a good fit. Hmm. Well, what do you think are some of the problems right now around voting? I mean, obviously you have rigged elections and people can sort yeah. of, you know, every time so, I see an uh, African election and like that right. person's been in for years and years and years, you're like, oh my gosh, like it's going to go the same <laughs> way. Well, what are some of the problems that, that you think blockchain will solve? Well, look, there's a lot. Uh, it, well, there's a lot of problems, but blockchain won't solve all of them. Blockchain is just the enabler, just like most technology is an enabler for, for some kind of uh, social or economic uh, change. Uh, now, what blockchain does in this context is, is secure the vote. So... In terms of somebody uh, buying votes uh, in, a, in a very sort of physical reality, for example, someone putting a gun to someone's head and saying, vote this way, um, otherwise, you know, you or your family's in trouble, blockchain doesn't solve that. But what blockchain does solve um, is the ability for people to uh, interfere with the vote result or, or change the results. And as we've seen, uh, this happens in developing nations quite frequently. Even in the US, we now understand that their e-voting machines are, in fact, highly susceptible to uh, very simple exploits, which can reverse the, ro- the reverse the vote on a single machine mm. as well as numerous other things. Germany too I think had that trouble mm. recently. Mm. Interesting. So uh, in your, um, there's a white paper on the on the site for Horizon State, you're talking about um, uh, I guess changing the way people see democracy. I mean it's kind of lofty language as these things need to be and it's, I, I, I think it's nice. Um, I, I, I think the, tr- the trouble that I have um, with, um, it's not necessarily voting that affects the quality of democracy, it's what people do with it. And you even touch on that as well in that mm. um, people go back on their words, policies change, you know, people do backflips, all of those kinds of things. Is there a way that um, what you're proposing or, or what you're working with right now can affect that? It is. So, I mean, where, where all this uh, was born out of is a, is a not-for-profit democratic movement called My Vote, also Melbourne-based. Um, fantastic uh, operating model, fantastic constitution 
institution uh, founded by a, a tremendously smart fellow named uh, Adam Jacoby. And, uh, and, and what they're trying to achieve is more than just uh, a technological solution, is indeed a, a governance solution. So the technology itself enables a few things. It enables security via online voting, which means that online voting is now possible, which means that you can have conversations far more frequently than a polling station can be set up or a postal vote can be sent out, which is a really, really powerful concept that we might be able to start engaging with people uh, you know, involved in the governance of our country with regularity. Now, once you start doing that, you can start changing what that conversation looks like. So my vote uh, specifically uh, doesn't have a binary yes or no on, on particular issues. In fact, you, you the, the idea here is that you choose a direction for the country based on the current issue. A, a very quick example, uh, immigration. Instead of saying, yes, I support onshore processing or no, I don't, it's about, um, in terms of preference, in terms of priority, where do you feel the country needs to go? Do you need do you need us to, to tackle uh, this problem with a financially pragmatic uh, piece of legislation? Or maybe it's a humanitarian aid focus, or maybe it's a border security focus. There'll be some contradictions in these, uh, you know, various directions that can be chosen, but it's a very, very different conversation and a much more meaningful one uh, than the current ones that take place in now sort of a political landscape. Yes or no, should we change this? kind of thing yeah and the, and the other problem with that of course is that generally um, it's based on uh, legislation that's already written where really these conversations need to have bef- uh, need to happen beforehand helping shape that legislation mm. you're um, uh, pretty happy with the recent New Zealand election result um, Joe do you what's your point of view on voting do you think you'd vote more often if, if it was easy to do and um, you could be involved and rather than just yes or no you could actually express a point of view with a vote do you think I vaguely remember reading something recently uh, about times where good social change has happened um, and it's been against current popular opinion and then there was a list of examples and I wish I'd paid better attention to it so I could like pull it out now and be all fancy. Uh So I I can see both sides. Um, But but yeah, it's an interesting prospect. Yeah, I think coming back to your point earlier yeah. in regards to the quality of democracy and the quality of outcomes, that's yeah. it's a significant point that does need to be improved upon and not just in the way we cast votes or what those uh, votes represent but indeed uh, the information that is uh, distributed and consumed. So Mm -hmm. you look at uh, Brexit, for example. Now, uh, I think it's probably safe to say that a majority, even if it's a minor majority of people around the world, think that that was probably uh, a bad outcome or a bad decision where lots of people voted against themselves. They really did so because of misinformation, uh, media ownership bias, political spin, party spin, and indeed outright lies. And so... Another mechanism that my vote employs based upon our technology is the ability uh, to deliver information packs which are collaborated on by people from the left and the right and various citizenships around the world to create information that is uh, less biased and more objective than what you might see on Today Tonight or mm-hmm. Channel 7 News. And so that, again, is an important step of trying to improve um, the information that is delivered to inform constituents and thus lead us to places of better democratic outcomes for everybody. Interesting. Um, in, in terms of, I guess, more kind of um, every, everyday news, um, you've recently gone through um, a, a period of, in terms of currency, issuing tokens and then coin offerings and so forth. So it's similar to Ethereum that we were talking about there is coin, there is mm. currency that you trade in Horizon State. How, how, does, how does that work? Yeah, so we don't really think about it as a, a, current, a currency specifically. And a lot of these blockchain-based businesses that are now running these ICOs or token sales or token generation events, whatever you want to call them, um, it's typically about the sale of a utility token that can be used inside of this platform or this software or this ecosystem. 
And so for us, uh, we have a token called HST, a Horizon State Token. We call it a, a decision token. Now, this doesn't represent a vote. Uh, it's not a transaction per vote uh, based on this token. It is... Um, it's about an access mechanism for all of the features and functionality within our platform for our customers, which can be enterprise around the world, global NGOs, governments, and so forth. Mm. Interesting. I can certainly see the comparisons here between... Um, oh. I'm not an um, online gamer um, in a major way, but between playing games like Quake, I imagine, and going, hey, this actually works really well here and maybe we should be taking this elsewhere. Did you learn about virtual currencies from gaming, do you think? Or? Uh, look, I was, I was familiar with them, um, but they almost go sort of invisible. People think about um, you know, frequent fly points and uh, gamer scores and in-game currencies, but they don't really think about them in the same way that they think about a cryptocurrency in that there is a lot of um, sort of uh, feedback from the general populace who said, I don't really want a currency for everything. But mm. when we start to think about the world as it exists right now, we do already have lots of currencies and lots of uh, units of uh, economic value, which we exchange or accumulate uh, at some point. So it's not so different. And I think there are certainly a lot of economists in this space that are working on models for these currencies and for these crypto assets uh, within ecosystems that are mm -hmm. certainly, uh, you know, uh, keeping a close eye on what has historically happened to try and make good decisions now or better decisions now. Mm. I remember there was an interesting um, game, a theoretical game, I think in the UK a few years ago, where um, somebody invented a box or a um, parcel that people had to try and access, and there was a particular way that you could go about it. So, like, um, repeated hits or returns or sort of um, attempts to try and open it was kind of like one one attempt at the box or what have you. And then they started selling tools for it. And then eventually there was a diamond-tipped pick that was sold for like £50,000, which somebody bought so that they could open <laughs> it before anybody else. Yeah. And then there was just, you know, some like, ha-ha, something kind of in there. But um, it was interesting. Like, um, yeah, once you start changing the, changing the value around... Um, Exchanges, whether it's currency or not, um, mm. how we respond to that. So in, in terms of um, where you need to go to from here, um, what, what's kind of next for the platform? Do you have to sort of reach a, a critical mass of users or um, what's what's success for Horizon State? Well, unlike most uh, blockchain-based businesses, our, our product isn't actually a, a consumer-facing product. It's a, more of a B2B offering. So our customers will be governments around the world of uh, you know varying sizes, small and large, um, at all levels. And then there'll be... Uh, multinational enterprise, there'll be global NGOs who want to engage in membership or collect directors' votes. And so... Mm. Um, the next steps for us is really turning some of our very promising opportunities in these uh, areas uh, into something more solid. Um, you know, we've already got the attention of various uh, councils and indeed a couple of states and territories in Australia uh, in respect to running pilots and implementing this. Uh, we're talking to uh, countries over in the Middle East who are having the opportunity to rebuild with a clean slate and thinking about how to do things better. Uh, and even a state in the US as well where, uh, you know, the political uh, landscape is pretty Florida. Turbulent. Was it Florida? It wasn't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so look, uh, lots of keen interest, uh, but I think some of our bread and butter initially uh, into the start of next year will in fact be those enterprise opportunities. Uh, so we've partnered with SAP, um, mm. who are an enormous sort of multinational software uh, sort of developer, mm -hmm. similar sort of scale to your IBMs and your Oracles, that sort of stuff. Uh, and also a global uh, conservation fund as well. Wonderful.
And um, there's a, a, a um, well, I guess a, a good buzz. Um, uh, if anyone's interested in, in checking out the site, there's um, a lot of people um, paying attention. So that's a good start for you guys um, and a bit of confidence um, to, to sort of go forward with. But um, yeah, uh, it seems a very interesting idea. Um, I'd be interested to hear more about um, the uptake on um, how it affects voting and um, confidence in votes and so forth. I think that's really important. But um, thanks for taking time. Thanks for having me. Cheers. If you do like to get your game on, um, you'll be pleased with our next guest. Um, Daniel Morganti has been uh, playing lots of games and he's particularly excited about one um, that we'll talk about shortly. Daniel, thanks for coming in. Oh, no worries. Thanks for having me again. Um, what's your What's your favourite game? What have you been playing recently? Uh, good p- stuff. Probably Battlegrounds is uh, the one I've been playing the most. Uh, I've played and beat Cuphead as well, which is um, a great uh, like run and gun shooter game. Mm. Um, they're probably my two at the at the moment. Mm. Battlegrounds, yeah, I've played about five hundred hours of that so far. So five hundred hours in in what space of time do you reckon? Uh, it was released in April. I pretty much bought it. Um, mm. It's only in early access as well, so I purchased it in April. About five hundred hours. So wow, yeah, it's uh, now that I think pretty about, much been gaming and coming here to tell us about yeah, gaming. basically that's that's the uh, the schedule. Um, so we are firstly going to talk about Cuphead, I believe. Yeah. Um, Cuphead is uh, it's like a platform sort of run and jump kind of game? Or? Uh, yeah, it's a, like a bullet hell uh, run and gun game, but it's focused around uh, boss fights. So there's an overworld in the game, but essentially it's just moving from boss fight to boss fight. Um, and the most interesting thing about it is... Um, probably the style it's done in like a 1930s cartoon style so So kind of like um mickey mouse kind of style yeah like early early disney max fleischer that kind of thing betty Mm -hmm. boop um Mm -hmm. and it's um even managed to kind of keep those those cartoons when they were first made um like cartoons weren't for kids when Mm. they started becoming popular so they've kind of kept the story as well basically you're a your name's cuphead you're a um anthropomorphic mug uh, yeah. or cup and then you've got yeah. a friend um, cuphead and you're gambling at a casino at the devil's casino no less and uh, you bet your souls you lose and the only way to get your souls back is to go and collect his debts right. so you've got to go around to all these bosses and beat them and collect them back up and um, yeah so the visual style audio style all done 1930s um, mm. or uh, with homage to 1930s even mm. Uh, even though it's a digital game, they've even included um, imperfections in the game. Like if you would run a um, reel of film from 1930, you get all the scratching and the yeah. dirt on the uh, film. They've included that. There's, I think there's about four filters running at once on the game. So it uh, looks like it's coming through a projector or something like that. And uh, the soundtrack, all completely jazz, which is kind of rare for a um, video game. I only know of one other game called uh, This Is The Police, I think it is. It has a jazz soundtrack. Um and uh, yeah, even that has like record scratching and stuff like that, like the imperfections. It's um, it's actually like really faithful to the era that it's trying to portray. Um, and there's just looking at it now, the colours yeah. are probably maybe a little bit richer. Yeah. But, um, so it's kind of not entirely. It's not like low res kind no, of no. you know terrible quality. It's um still a very lush. Yeah, game. yeah, v- uh, very vibrant. Um, I think it was uh, they're all watercolor. Uh, the backgrounds and such are all watercolors, and then mm. the animations are all done through Photoshop and uh, mm. the Unity game engine. Mm. Yeah. Have you played many of these kinds of games before? Is this a style of game that you like? Or? Um, not really. Like I'm more of a shooter uh, strategy game kind of guy. Mm. Um, 
but I, I have played them from time to time. Like uh, mm. Meat Boy, I guess, is one that's uh, it's another indie, indie game. Mm. Um, it's come around, uh, come around, and that's kind of this Meat Boy was kind of the inspiration to get this game started. Mm. Um, and yeah, like Bullet Hell. So that's games like uh, Raptor and Xevious, and where you're basically trying to just dodge bullets on the screen. So yep. I've played a few of those, but um, it's not like a game uh, a genre that I'm passionate mm. about but um yeah it's it's very fun very difficult there's a mm. lot of games lately that are coming out uh in the wake of uh, games like dark souls which are increased in difficulty or mm. um typically don't hold your hand mm. um that's probably my only criticism criticism of this game is that um if you're going to have something that's incredibly difficult your animations and your hitboxes need to be pretty much spot on yeah. because otherwise the player will feel like they're cheated if they're hit when they don't think they should be. Yeah. Um, and it's probably, it's very rare in this game, but it does happen where I've noticed, oh, that probably shouldn't have hit me. And uh, I... Cop to hit. Yeah, and I'm addicted to rage a hole. So mm. I uh, <laughs> definitely throw a bit of a tantrum when something like that happens. <laughs> uh, so what are some of your favourite bosses from this? If it's um, the one I've probably spent bots. the most time on... Uh, Flamey Matchstick. Uh, he's a dragon that um, shoots lasers from his eyes, uh, and they all have phases. So you'll take, mm. uh, you'll defeat their first phase. They change. Come back. Defeat, yeah, they come yeah. back stronger and with different attacks. And um, so he's probably the one I struggled with for probably about three hours, just constantly doing it. And mm. it only takes a minute thirty to beat it at the end. So <laughs> you can imagine how many times I gave it, uh, gave it a whack. Um, but yeah, so far uh, my problems, uh, my. Favorite's probably just been the the two bullfrog brothers, uh, Flippy and Slappy, or mm. I'm getting those names wrong for sure. Mm. But they're um, it's like right at the start of the game, and they're just two uh, boxing mm. bullfrogs that uh, yeah, you got to repossess their souls for the devil, basically. Nice. Uh, yeah, they're memorable in my my mind. Do you think uh, do you think you played more games uh, in this style, or it's just kind of um, you just liked it because it was such a interesting production? Um, it's very interesting. I'll like I'll play anything um, mm. really. Uh, anything interesting so if another game like this came out i'd definitely mm. play it and like i do enjoy games like this like uh it's a lot like um got like contra elements like did you ever play contra in the 90s no. uh it's just no. really difficult bullet hell game so it's like um uh i play anything that's new and original and mm. i play a lot of indie games as well because that's mm. uh there's uh not really covered as much as the triple a titles nice yeah and you've been playing Battleground as well, is that right? Yeah, Battleground. So oh, right. early access uh, battle royale game where you're um, in a server with 100 people, you're dropped into the middle of the map or you're taken in a plane above the map, you mm -hmm. get to decide where to jump out, um, you parachute down and you've got to pick up weapons, armour, uh, backpacks um, and then survive to be the last person. Um, it's immensely satisfying to get a win but those are few and far between because you're mm. versing 100 people yeah uh, the average win would be one every 100 games because there's 100 yeah. people so um yeah i'm uh, i'm slowly getting better but um mm. yeah there's a have you had a win i've had i've had a few yeah. um but not as many as i'd like not as many yeah. as i think i deserve obviously i'm, I'm an entitled feeling kind of game i'm like <laughs> i definitely should be winning constantly but um yeah i'm, I'm not as good as i think i am so uh yeah i have one um, yeah, it's a great game. Good, uh, yeah, good game. 
you get do you get game anxiety? I was I was playing um, like original Mario Brothers yesterday on the yeah. NES, and um, we were constantly dying, just like falling through the platforms, and people were like on the floor with stress. Yeah. at Mario Brothers, is it a thing? Because I don't remember that when I first started playing it when I was like fourteen. I, but now I do get game stress. Yeah, I I don't know. I guess just the. Um, when you're younger, I guess you don't understand that you've yeah. done it once. You should just be able to do it again. Or, um, but Mario's yeah. don't grow on trees. Yeah, like, you, know, <laughs> yeah. you die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess I, I I just remember being able to run through games like that. Like mm. after playing it for an hour or so, just being able to understand the mechanics and how how mm. you'd move and stop on the edge of a platform. How much mm. uh, move you give? That all comes down to the minor mechanics that you don't notice, but they're definitely there and help the game. Um, yeah, but. Uh, it definitely with battlegrounds, I get that anxiety. If you're like, if mm. it's down to the last two, you yeah. and someone else, you're like, where are oh, they? You're laying down in the yeah. tall grass, and you can hear them moving, their guns going off, and yeah, I definitely feel my heartbeat then. But um, yeah, I definitely get anxiety, especially like Cuphead as well, when you can't <laughs> beat the game, you're pulling out your hair because uh, yeah, you're stuck on a guy for three hours. Joe, do you have a, a game that you've ever been anxious about? Do you think? I remember breaking a lot of um, microswitch joysticks in the oh. late eighties. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you remember Not what game you were playing? Just, I don't know something yeah. on the Commodore sixty four. Yeah. <laughs> did you ever is, River Raid? Did you ever program your own games on the Commodore sixty four? No, but uh, we used to try and like mess with my dad by making the computer beep. Yeah. <laughs> with Basic, so yeah. but yeah, that was about it. That's a good one. Nice. Um, so if for people um, thinking of playing the game, have there been any particular strategies um, that have got you to, to your wins? Like how have you kind of gotten to the top? Um, one of the um, uh, parts in the game is you're able to uh, purchase new types of bullets and weapons so you can change up mm. kind of the way that you shoot and um, just defeat the enemy. Some do uh, like uh, have a lower arc and you have to be close to the boss to hit them mm. and, but they do more damage mm. um, and I would just say every boss you've got to find the perfect combination of those weapons. You can only mm. go into a round with two and I think there are six mm. um, and you've got to pick the two that uh, will defeat it the easiest for you. So it's yeah, constantly changing your um, style of... Um, Weapon, I guess. Weapon use. Yeah. yeah. What about battlegrounds? Like, what's been your strategy? Ah, uh, hide. Get there? get a weapon and lay down. <laughs> you know. Are you a sniper? Is that your uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, that's probably the most satisfying, but the, yeah. it's fairly realistic. So the it's actually difficult to shoot someone in the head from a mm. uh, long way away. Mm. Um, but yeah, the uh, definite strategy is to find a house uh, once you've got enough gear to hold up, and you can hear people like footsteps and stuff so as they enter mm. the house they'll walk through the front door and you've got the gun pointed yeah. right at them so that's probably the best strategy yeah right hold up yeah interesting well uh keep playing games uh we'd love to hear uh some more games uh reviews um in uh in the coming weeks so oh, I, I guess i can give it a go then yeah i, I don't know if you're not doing anything later just, just play some games for yeah us. I, I, that, i've already got a game lined up with a couple of mates when i get home so hopefully i'll get uh that win in, in battlegrounds nice one yeah uh, we do have uh, roughly 10 minutes left on the show and we do have um, a few things to get to. Um, I am having one of those wonderful um, slow-loading internet moments, but um, a couple of strange things that did come up uh, that was interesting to me. I kind of am <laughs> really interested in quadrupeds and weird stuff from like um, um, uh, Boston. Boston Dynamics. Mm. Um, 
one of their uh, quadrupeds, um, uh, Animal, uh, A-N-Y-M-A-L, um, is uh, one of those ones that you see kind of running up sort of um, hills and falling over and getting straight back up, can actually now use elevators. So if you thought probably the best strategy from getting away from these when um, um, the balloon goes up is to take, take to the top floor, they're going to get you there as well. It's um, just like when the Daleks learnt to float. God. That was a bad moment. <laughs> Um, there is quite a surreal picture as well. Uh, I might tweet this out um, after the show of um, kids um, patting these quadrupeds without kind of understanding the serious kind of like sci-fi connotations of these devices. Um, but interesting. Um, I think some of the good things about these is for um, obviously for things like rescues or for obviously, you know, they do great work in bomb disposals and keeping people safe and so forth and um, things like extinguishing fires on rigs and whatever. It still just freaks me out every time I see them and they're doing weird stuff that, you know, once you get over point five, you struggle to do. It is really weird. Um, one, one video I really disliked was um, one of the workers just whacking one of them until it fell over yeah. and then got back up and I was like, what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> stay down, stay down. No. <laughs> or why are you hurting it? They're going to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> they will remember it. Um, it's true. Um, but, yeah, once you see them with sort of like gun mounts and stuff, it's um, it's very scary. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I have bad dreams about those. Um, another thing that is causing bad dreams, um, there was – it's not often you see stuff on Twitter where people say this is the scariest thing that you're going to read um, today. Um, but this kind of was scary as I was waiting for my pizza last night. Um it's not an uncommon... I don't have kids, but apparently it's not an uncommon thing to um, put an iPad or laptop in front of them and say, here you go, watch some videos. Um, and it's, I've heard... It's not as if we weren't babysat by our VHSs. No, no, that's true. That's true. So I'm not being um, um, not being precious about that. Um, but uh, kids' YouTube and um, stuff... Uh, is getting strange. Um, uh, one person has written... Uh, written James Bridle has written a, a Medium piece about... Um, how he decided to look a little bit deeper into what's actually going on here. So if you watch, um, say for example, you want to watch um, Peppa Pig um, and there's um, 200 Peppa Pig videos, you can get through those um, pretty quickly. And what happens after that is um, you start reaching into automated content. Um, the way video works at the moment is um, advertisers, uh, or the way advertising works is it's, um, incentives are based on hours watched. So the more video out there, the more video that people watch, the more ads get served, um, you know, et cetera, as you'd imagine. So what a lot of people are doing are just creating um, automated content um, based on various keywords. Um, so if you throw in um, Peppa Pig, Fight, Facebook, Google, YouTube, iTunes, um, there's a video for that out there that somebody's made, um, betting that uh, at the end of the run of Peppa Pig videos, someone is going to get served that. So um, James has had a, a, a pretty good look into it. And um, if you compare some of the um, channels um, compared to, say, um, uh, Peppa Pig, um, the surprise egg craze. Um, uh, do, do you know about surprise eggs? Have you come across that? Yeah, I read, I read an article about um, the obsession maybe a year or two back. Yeah, so um, there's a, a, a number of accounts out there um, just unwrapping things like Kinder Surprises um, very slowly um, and then slowly opening the egg and slowly opening the toy. It's like ASMR for kids. It is pretty much. Um, but uh, once you, again, get through your um, surprise egg videos, there's just 
endless variations um, on this um, to a point where we've actually got this phenomenon now where um, uh, video tools are just stitching together content um, and content based on the idea of surprise eggs um, and potentially um, serving those to um, bots that are just watching these videos, um, watching, um, being served these videos over and over. So we've actually got this um, video... um, ecosystem where stuff's being made, um, nobody's watching it, nobody's making it, nobody's checking it, and occasionally we're watching it or being open to it. And I guess you can get kind of like, you know, dadsy about it and say, but, you know, who's making sure that we're watching the right stuff and so forth. I, I just worry about the, the serious waste and, and kind of the ridiculous economy that goes on around this that... Um, I don't know. Well, I mean, I think he was also talking about some of these videos being quite nightmarish and potentially traumatizing. Absolutely. So there is that. Like kind of- one of the videos he describes in the article is um, wrong heads, which is apparently some kind of uh, thing. Yes. And um, it's a video where I think it's Aladdin, and there's a headless body, and char- various characters from Aladdin's heads are switched onto this body while a a disembodied baby's head floats around laughing maniacally. Um, And if that doesn't sound like whatever was in your dream this morning before your alarm went off at seven uh, and you woke up in a cold sweat, I'm not sure what is. Interesting. Um, So just keep an eye out on what um, gets autoplayed next based based on what you're checking out, really. You can turn autoplay off as well. You can do that. Uh, coming up soon is Anthony Carew with the International Pop Underground, which is well worth your ears tonight, uh, I will wager. Um, thank you to Jamie and also to Daniel uh, for joining us tonight. Um, Joe, do you think you know a little bit more about cryptocurrency or should we just keep getting them in until we get it cracked? It'll, it'll happen one day. It will happen one day. Uh, we've been bite into it. Hope you have a good ace night. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.